This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Well, hello there. How are you this afternoon? Are avocados pretty much a staple at your place? And exactly how much are you prepared to pay for just one avocado? In the shops recently, $3 each. That's pretty much the going price. And they could get a lot more expensive too because as the harvest gets underway here in Western Australia, there are some early predictions the total harvest could be half that of last year which can only mean one thing, prices are going to go up. And shortly you're going to meet a Qantas pilot who is now working on a farm here in WA's Wheatbelt. Hope you can stick around for that just before news headlines at half past 12. Six past 12 here on ABC WA and a new industry body for Australia's multi-billion dollar grains industry is taking shape with news aboard has now been appointed. Grains Australia is the brainchild of the Grains Research and Development Corporation and will bring together a number of industry groups. The idea is to streamline the handling of industry functions such as trade and market access, commodity variety classification and education. And there will be two Western Australians on this five-person board. There'll be agribusiness specialist Andrew Young as a director, and Grains veteran Terry Enright as inaugural chairman. John Woods is the chairman of the GRDC and says the new group will have an Australia Inc. focus. This has been certainly a whole-of-sector approach to try and pull together a range of activities and functions that the industry currently does. And what we're trying to do is ensure that these functions that are core to growers and the supply chain sector are put under one roof. We get alignment, more efficiency and, of course, better delivery to growers. What's the first priority? I mean, will it be looking at the China barley issue, for example, and any alternatives there? The core operational issues that Grains Australia should be dealing with are around um, classification, both wheat and other commodities. They'll obviously be dealing in trade market access to exactly your point. And I think Australia does need to do more heavy lifting with regards to trade and market access and have a more integrated approach. Grains Australia will have some responsibility there. Uh, It'll also do market information, market education. So they're the core areas of business that Grains Australia will will, uh, focus on. And of course, it's not just export, it's obviously also domestic activities as well. So I think what we've seen in the past, there's a range of organisations that participate in a number of these areas, and we're looking to try and get better alignment, better integration, and so hopefully far better outcome and return on investment and delivery to growers in the supply chain. Now, the board is obviously set, but looking at the makeup of the board, would you say there's enough grassroots industry representation given there's just the one farmer? Well, I think uh, what you're looking at is a skills-based board being very clear that the board need to execute the business of uh, Cranes Australia. They need to find a very highly capable CEO to effectively run the business. But in the architecture of Grains Australia is a key feature, and that is the councils and the committees that will effectively be the engine room of what occurs out of Grains Australia. So it will be very much advised and informed 
by growers who will participate in those councils as well as members of the supply chain. So, for instance, when it comes to wheat classification, we envisage there being effectively a committee or a council that will actually do the work do the horsepower and then advise the business and the outcomes will then be executed by the business. John, you're not a West Australian, I take it, but um, Terry Enright is. Is that a hint, perhaps, that the board could be headquartered in Perth? Oh, look, we've said all the way along from a JDC perspective and uh, Grains Australia, my understanding is when I've spoken to these nominee directors that start on the 1st of September, that it will be a decision of Grains Australia. So we're not sort of flagging anything, there's nothing inferred. Uh, we just felt that um, Terry is an extremely strong candidate to both lead this organisation and also form this organisation with the other four directors that will assist him in that process. So he happens to be a Western Australian, but he also comes with a depth of experience in the grain sector and he's also a very effective communicator and an effective negotiator. And he will need to do that to ensure that the functions of Grains Australia get stood up and acted upon in a, in a timely manner. So that, that's something for Grains Australia with regards to site requirements that will be up to their board. I mean, one of the reasons cited for perhaps the the value of locating Grains Australia in Perth has been that AGIC is here. Do you think there's any logic in that, in that argument? There's no doubt going forward, AGIC actually will have a very close relationship with Grains Australia, certainly in the, in the near term. There will be some opportunities for those two to collaborate extremely effectively and AGIC is a very good organisation performing some very good functions and operations on behalf of the sector, very much export orientated. They will have to have a very close relationship but whether that requires them to be basically in the next door office, I think one thing we have learnt over the last four or five months under the current circumstances of COVID-19, you know, we can operate and function as organisations and entities and businesses with agility and um, significant outcomes uh, without having to sit in the same office. GRDC Chairman John Woods with Daniel Mercer and the news coming through that the board of the new body, Grains Australia, has been announced. It's a five-person board, two Western Australians on it, Andrew Young and the new inaugural chairman, Terry Enright. This is the Country Hour, 11 past 12, and it looks like there'll be some good opportunities in Europe for Australian wheat and canola exports this season, thanks to dry conditions across the continent. But there's not much upside in international barley markets, with the US producing a bumper corn crop. That's how Rabobank's global grains and oilseed strategist Stefan Vogel is seeing it anyway. He's actually based in Europe and so has a really good understanding of how the season is unfolding. Clearly, if you see, we had a fairly warm and dry April. Uh, that was a big problem. May was actually fairly good. Um, so we got quite a bit of moisture that saved us quite at the point in time when the crops would get really, really, really bad. But then once again, we had some weather issues once again in, in July and in June. So it wasn't a, a perfect season. And so if you look at the European Union's production numbers, looking at the wheat crop, we are producing usually a crop somewhere around 145, 150 million metric tons. Last year, we had actually a very, very good crop, close to 155 million tons. This season, we're about 10% below that number, so including Durham, just shy of uh, 140 million metric tons. So all the key regions actually have 
uh, had uh, more than uh, subdued kind of uh, crop year. Clearly nothing to compare with what you guys had in Australia for the last two seasons. But for us over here in Europe, we're definitely not used to such droughts. And therefore, uh, our volumes are down quite a bit on the wheat side. And the same picture is also true if you're looking at crops like oilseed rape or canola. Okay, so I think last year the European Union exported 38 million tonnes of wheat. Looking at Rabobank's figures, estimating that figure to fall by at least 10 million tonnes this year. Uh, That deficit of 10 million tonnes, is that something that Australia can step in and, and make up? Uh, we hope so, actually, on the world market. So we need to look at two things. Well, first of all, do we need as big wheat exports globally or we trade globally as we did in the last season? And the answer is probably yes, because wheat demand has been fairly good, especially from the food side. So Corona and, and COVID has not hurt the food demand side at all. Where we will see probably quite a bit more competition is on the feeding side, given that the U.S. is producing a massive corn crop. Nevertheless, if you look at at the trade volumes, we think they need to stay somewhere close to what they were last year. And with Europe probably being able to export roughly 10 million tons less than last year, somebody needs to make up for it. The U.S. is not in a place to produce and export much more. The Canadian crop looks pretty good, and we may see actually that Canada picks up a little bit of a volume, but not a whole lot. And then we need to look at the two really big, important uh, Black Sea region countries, uh, Ukraine. The crop probably 10% below last year, and so also export volumes are not as strong. And uh, the question mark is still around Russia. So Russia is definitely having a better crop than last year. The estimates have moved quite a bit, starting fairly high, moving relatively low, then uh, recovering somewhere to the 80 million tons level again here recently. So Russia can export a bit more, but will probably just offset what Ukraine is uh, is not exporting more, but is exporting actually less. And so if you look at the global deficit, 10 million tons or so out of the European Union need to be offset by somebody else. And Australia seems to be best placed because also... The other competitor on the southern hemisphere side, Argentina, had dryness issues. So uh, Australian crop, if we get somewhere around 26 to 28 million tons of of wheat out of Australia, I think the world market will be able to absorb that volume. You mentioned canola earlier. I think the EU expected to produce its worst canola crop in 14 years. Uh, So how much opportunity is there for Australia to increase its uh, export volumes of canola to the EU? Yeah, so in that ballpark, it basically means we need to look at the demand side of things. And the demand side heavily depends over here on the biodiesel use because um, canola has roughly 40% oil content. And that oil content is heavily used in the European Union also to produce biodiesel. So if we're looking at the demand picture, we expect that The COVID has definitely hurt the demand for driving and with it and also the fuel use and the biofuel use in the period of April and and May. But we are probably back to more or less close to normal levels uh, at this point in time. And with the poor crop that we're having here with the rapeseed side, it basically means we need to import probably somewhere around 6 million tons uh, of uh, canola rapeseed. That's about the same volume as we have imported last year. And what the European Union usually does is we're going to look at Ukraine first and uh, we import most of the volumes that are available out of the Ukrainian areas. 
but the Ukrainian crop, not only for wheat, but also for canola rapeseed, is worse than last year. So we're not getting all the volumes. So we will turn to Australia and we will probably buy uh, a lot of volume of rapeseed that is available in, in Australia for export. So that should be good news for your growers. It basically means if you guys can more or less double your volumes of export from last year, we would be able to buy that here into Europe uh, and we would definitely need those volumes. Okay, so lots of variables there for wheat and canola exports, but uh, also some some very good signs. But uh, I suppose here in Australia, barley is the big talking point at the moment with that key export market of China really being ruled out because of the tariffs that are in place and the domestic crop also shaping up very well. What potential destinations are there for us to send our barley to? Yeah, that's a really difficult question. Uh, clearly, China is or uh, was in the past a, a good consumer and importer of uh, of Australian barley. Um, with the import duties closing the door on Australian trade flows towards China, it definitely means uh, the country needs to go into the other importing regions. So, if we're looking who's importing quite a bit of uh, barley, um, then we have to look into Saudi Arabia which means you're competing there in the feed market. And that's a market that also countries like the European Union want to serve. So the Black Sea wants to serve. And, and also if we're looking there, um, the European crop is not much worse. Actually, it probably is slightly better on the barley side. So it's a bit contrary to wheat. So competition will be there on the barley side. That's the bad news for the Australians. And as soon as you're leaving uh, the import destination of uh, Saudi Arabia, then you're looking at a multitude of smaller countries and smaller import needs uh, where it's going to be a bit more tricky. Um, so I, I think Bali will probably have a bit of a tough time out of Australia. So uh, maybe not the best news uh, for the feed grain market and, and exporters out of Australia down the road, given that corn prices are already relatively cheap and the supplies uh, will remain probably fairly high for at least the next 12 months. Stefan Vogel from Rabobank with Angus Verley. 19 past 12. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. News headlines then. It's off to the Bureau of Meteorology around about half past 12 today. First up, though, you know the coronavirus pandemic is creating some really challenging circumstances for a whole range of different industries but it's also presenting some unique opportunities for those willing to try something different. Up until recently, Darren Sheridan was a Qantas check and training captain on the Airbus A330 with decades of experience flying mainly to Singapore, Hong Kong and Japan. Today, he's working on Brad Jones Farm in the WA Wheatbelt at Tamman, about 180 kilometres east of Perth. Now, you'll meet Darren in just a few minutes, but first, Brad, how did you and Darren cross paths? I was at a friend's 50th birthday. It was a surprise 50th, and um, he's a Qantas pilot. He's a Qantas captain. Anyway, I got talking to another couple of guys there, and they're, they're also Qantas captains, and uh, one just said, hey, listen, mate, I'm really, really bored. Uh, have you got any work? And I said, well, it's it's only really loading at this stage. I don't really have anything too much. And he said, I'll come and do it. It's just something to do. So, And I've had him ever since. So how many months then has he been on the property? Uh, I reckon he's been here six weeks now. 
Does he have a farming background at all or is he completely new to agriculture? Oh, completely new. Like the, the closest he's probably been to ag, the most exposure he's had to ag in the past has been what he wears and what he eats. Um, <laughs> born and bred in Sydney, was a Qantas cadet at a, quite a young age, so when he was in his early 20s and has been in the Qantas system flying for them for almost 30 years. So what does, you know, this is someone brand new from a completely different background coming onto the property. What does he offer the business? Oh, he's disciplined, uh, obviously very well trained. They do a lot of training in in, uh, crew resources, how to work multi-crews. So he, he fits into a team very well. As far as operations is concerned, once he's shown how to do it, he just picks it up and goes to it without a problem at all thinks about it, very procedural. Yeah, like I couldn't ask for more. Now, you've had him, you just had some of those sort of um, basic tasks to do, like the loading, for example. But over that six-week period, what do you think come harvest time? Is he capable, ready to get on the header? More than capable, Bell. I've got him earmarked for a seat. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to him actually getting in it because he, he brings a different perspective to the farm as well. He's a check and training captain, so he's actually a senior pilot from Qantas. And the way that the lens that he views the farm, as far as procedures and um, things are concerned, is really good feedback loop for me as well. So, what if you didn't have the option of this pilot coming onto the property? Were you facing a, a shortage, a worker shortage for harvest time this year? Uh, it would have been tight, yeah. Like we would have had. Um, all sorts of family members that we could we could shake out of the tree to come and help us. But I think, yeah, no, we're okay now. Like, I've got a, uh, a second Qantas guy hopefully joining us next week. So, yeah, it'll be kind of ironic that we've got two senior Qantas captains doing all our groundwork for us. And does he enjoy it? I mean, you know, just the comparison between up there flying one of those big planes compared to this sort of farm work. What does he say? It's a good change. Like, I don't think he wants to make a long-term career out of it, but at this stage, he's enjoying the change. Like, he's been in that corner system for close to 30 years, so he's, I won't say stale, but he, he's probably been looking at it going, you know, it's just a nice refresher. And, you know, we were having a chat the other night, and he'll go back a better person to them as well because, you know, like, he'll be relaxed. He'll, he'll have seen something different. It gives a really good appreciation for ag. So instead of flying over the wheat belt now, he'll be able to look out the window and say, ah, I know what goes on down there, you know. Yeah, well, look, I, I really want to meet him. So thank you so much for just having a chat with us here on the country and let's um, catch up with your pilot. Thanks so much, Brad. All right, Bill. See you. Tamman farmer Brad Jones on the Country Hour, 24 past 12. So let me introduce you to the pilot come farm worker, Darren Sheridan. Darren, what went through your mind when Brad suggested you come out and do some of the farm work this season? Yeah, I was, I was quite interested actually because it, it was fairly early on uh, when the coronavirus had hit and we'd all been stood down from work and, and a lot of us sitting around wondering what we're going to do for uh, possibly up to a year or even more. So got chatting to Brad and, and he was like, well, come out and work on the farm and see how you like that. So I spent a few days He's got a aerial agricultural side of the business and I was quite keen to come and have a look at that. So that's where we, we've ended up and I've been working for him now for about six to eight weeks, I think. Has he got um, you up really in the planes it. on the property yet? 
No, no, um, I'm not ag rated, so uh, I can't fly the ag planes. Um, I'm probably a bit old to learn that as well, I'd say. So I'll, I'll leave that to the uh, the professionals who do that. So I'm, I'm quite happy actually sitting on the ground and, and fueling them up, loading them up and watching them go. All right. Well, tell us about the work that you have been doing on the farm then. Yeah, so at the moment I'm working as a loader driver, so we're going out to, as well as Brad's own farm, we go out to a few farms around the region, all around the wheat belt, spraying fertiliser, chemicals, so um, it's all been new to me, uh, so it's, you know, loading the planes full of urea and kinds of fertiliser, fueling them up, chemicals, and that that's pretty much it, just doing what I can to um, to support the guys, support the pilots and keep them in the air and the planes working. And have you had a look over the header? Because um, obviously on here on the country, <coughs> we've been talking about the shortage of workers in a number of different agricultural industries, one of them being the grains industry and real concern about having enough uh, skilled operators to jump on one of these headers. So have you taken a look at the setup? I had a, had a bit of a brief look and Brad's mentioned that he'd be keen to um, to get pilots like myself into the headers over um, harvest season. Uh, I haven't driven one yet, but Brad assures me that uh, it is it is possible that we could be trained up. I think as pilots, uh, we sort of highly disciplined backgrounds. Uh, we're used to operating complex machinery is, is sort of what we've been doing. I've been a pilot for 30 plus years. Um, so I do think with you know a little bit of training, a bit of patience from the farms, and uh, I think we could make quite a good workforce for them. And just your first impressions, I guess, of agriculture so far. I know it's only a few weeks in, six or eight weeks in, Darren, but what have been your first impressions? I'm loving it. I'm actually loving it. It's, it's you know, aside, you know, I know the coronavirus has been quite, uh, quite tragic, but for doing a change of scenery in, in what you're doing in your life, it's uh, it's actually been quite interesting. Um, you know, a, a lot of the places we go to, it's as if corona sort of is not happening apart from the workforce. Um, and, and it's quite refreshing, actually, to sort of get, get away from, from everything that's going on and just come out to a farm and really enjoy yourself. And was it easy just to sort of pick up and, and move out to Tamman? Um, I'm, I'm sort of doing it as a drive-in, drive-out. Uh, arrangements. So I'll probably I come out to Tamman sort of four days, five days of the week and then get home, fortunately, most weekends back to Perth, back to the family. It's been a little bit disruptive for them, but, you know, that's a pilot lifestyle's pretty much like that anyway. We're away a lot. So my family has sort of grown up with me um, being away a fair bit of the time. I guess the, the biggest difference in agriculture, it's all it all dependent on the weather. So you sort of you don't really know what you're doing one day to the next day. And I, look, I guess it's quite kind of interesting dinner party conversation too. Like, you know, all the friends and family you've known for so many years knowing that you're a pilot and suddenly you're in this whole new industry. Yeah, well, it is. And, you know, every, everybody you talk to, it's, you know, well, what's, what's happened to you? What are you doing now? And and so then I start talking about farming and as I'm building my knowledge, I can come come up with some farming terms and learning all about crops and, and fertilisers and fields and all that sort of stuff that I'd never never known before. So it actually made quite an interesting conversation. And the other pilots, your you know colleagues, are they interested in perhaps pursuing something similar? Yeah, I think uh, I think they are. Um, I know there's a, quite a few guys that, are, that would be interested in coming out for, for harvest and and even beyond into next year seeding that kind of thing. Um, so hopefully, uh, yeah, a few guys have found some jobs um, doing a range of things. We've got people digging trenches, uh, working in 
in warehouses, uh, all sorts, all sorts of different jobs. Hopefully, a few getting into mining as well. Well, look, it's great to meet you, Darren. I'll let you get back to work because I know you've got a busy day ahead today. But it was really lovely for you to spend some time here on the Country Hour. Thank you. My pleasure, Belinda. And, yeah, we've got a big day planned. Uh, we're at York at the moment, so I've got a big day spraying. Well, I hope you enjoy it, Darren. It's Darren Sheridan, um, usually a Qantas pilot, going in and out of Asia, but is now working on a farm at Tamman. And Darren did want you to know that if you are a pilot or you know a pilot who's looking for some farm work, he is actually putting together a network of contacts. So you can text through here and I can pass on your details if you like. Zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. A few texts just asking how much an hour for a Qantas captain and apparently it's $30 an hour is the deal that's been done and accommodation. And yesterday, just talking to the online platform, uh, Studian, it's called, that was sort of linking farmers with those who are looking for jobs in the agricultural sector. And that was kind of the ballpark, you know, around about that sort of thing. I mean, plus the accommodation. So that is another platform you can sort of link up with um, a farmer who's looking for some work if you like too. Zero double four eight nine double two six zero four to be part of the conversation and just a little pointer to tomorrow here on the Country Hour. You don't want to miss it because the latest Giwa crop report is about to be released and you'll find out all the details here on the Country Hour tomorrow. And after that recent rain, it is going to be interesting to see what WA's new total crop estimate is going to be. What do you think? Maybe 10% bigger, 20%? Let me know on the text if you like. So tomorrow, going through that in some detail with the Grains Industry Association of WA Crop Report author Michael Lamond and also CBH Chairman Simon Stead is going to be here just to fill you in on CBH's governance review that's about to get underway. This is The Country Hour, 29 to 1, and Jonathan Hopper here with an update from the newsroom. Afternoon, Belinda. The WA government's extraordinary bill to terminate Clive Palmer's multi-billion dollar legal challenge looks set to avoid a delay, leaving it with a clear path uh, to pass through Parliament. The legislation passed the lower house but still faced a possible delay with opposition calls to have it referred to an upper house committee for closer examination. But the Nationals and the Greens oppose that move, removing the hurdle. The Department of Health has reported two new cases of COVID-19 in WA overnight. The new confirmed cases, a woman in her 50s and a man in his 30s, are both returned overseas travellers and are in hotel quarantine. And a 28-year-old Boulder man with links to the Gypsy Joker outlaw motorcycle gang has faced court over his alleged involvement in a $270,000 gold heist. Adam Sean Ritchie is one of three men who have been charged over the theft of raw gold ore, a two-ton safe, a front-end loaner and two four-wheel drive vehicles at a Cambauda gold mine in April. He appeared in the Kalgoorlie Magistrates Court where his lawyer successfully applied to have his bail conditions changed. Ritchie will now be allowed to travel to Perth for face-to-face meetings with his legal team. Thanks, Belinda. Thank you, Jonathan. 28 to 1. I'm Bevan Eats from Manjimup and you're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio WA. Good to be catching up with you this afternoon. Shortly, you're off to Salmon Gums, just sort of north of Esperance. 
Take a look around at the seasonal conditions, the wrap of the Mount Barker cattle market for you, and then just checking in on the avocado harvest and what's going to be expected this time round. It looks like it could be down on the number of avocados harvested last year, which can have an impact on the prices already paying around $3 each in the supermarkets, and that may be going up. First, though, it's off to the Weather Bureau and Luke Huntington with you this afternoon. Luke, let's start with a look around the Southwest Land Division. Yeah, throughout the Southwest Land Division, uh, today we've just got some showers over the southern and western parts, but only light falls expected. Uh, as we get into Friday, uh, we will just see some showers uh, southwest of Orion, Durian Bay to York to Windy Harbour, um, and then across just coastal areas uh, to Israelite Bay in the late afternoon and evening. Again, um, pretty light falls associated with that. Um, but I guess the story of the next few days is uh, a significant cold front that does uh, move through the area on uh, later Saturday. Um, so it does look like it does have some uh, decent falls associated with this one uh, once again. Uh, as I said, it'll move it'll cross the west coast uh, late into the Saturday afternoon and into the evening. And there may be, uh, well, there will be a, a period of rain associated with it and possible uh, thunderstorms as it moves through. Uh, and in the wake of that cold front on Saturday, uh, there will be a cold and unstable uh, westerly airflow behind it. So that'll keep the showers going through on the Sunday with some uh, thunderstorms and hail possible throughout the region. Uh, over the weekend, you're looking at falls around uh, 20 to 50 millimetres along that western area from uh, southwest of Geraldton uh, to Albany. So that would be the heaviest falls over the weekend. And then it will start um, gradually decreasing as you go inland. Um, and by the time you get out to the eastern agriculture areas, um, it's much lighter, so they might only get uh, 5 to 10 millimetres for the event. Uh, and then into the Monday, uh, the, uh, the showers will continue throughout the southwest land division uh, with the most frequent falls just along the south coast there. And into northern and eastern parts of the state, Luke? Yeah, so over the next uh, couple of days, um, pretty much uh, mostly clear and fine up in the north. Uh, on the Saturday, just with that front coming through later in the day, there will be just some showers developing uh, through the southwest Gascoigne uh, later in the day. And on the Sunday, those showers will extend uh, to the uh, far western Pilbara. And by Monday, uh, we'll be back to fine conditions as a ridge uh, dominates. So only light falls for that um, far western Pilbara and the southwest Gascoigne. So uh, most, as I said, most of the heavier falls will be in that southwest land division. And warnings this afternoon? Uh, there are no warnings out. Great. Thank you for the details. 25 to 1. On to the rainfall now for the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning. Richard Hudson has the details. Yeah, in the northern and eastern forecast districts, nothing over two mils. In the southwest land division forecast districts, the central west, Aradale and Eniaba, six. Gutha West 5, Durian Bay 10, Minganew 7, Strawberry 5, Three Springs 9. In the Lower West, Jinjin West had 6 and that's it. In the South West, Northcliffe 5, Shannon 9, Woolpole Forestry 11 and Yanmar 5. Then in the Southern Coastal Region, Albany 7 and at the airport 12, Beaumont West 5, Bremer Bay 14, Shane Beach 31, Dalyup Park 23, Denbarker 5, Denmark 6 to 7 mils at two locations, Erin Air 25, Esperance 11 to 25, that's at three locations and that's nice rain, Gardner 14, 
Hopeton 14 to 15. Can't keep Gardner out of the news now, can we, with the rainfall? Mount Barker 5, Munglin up 9, Oakmarsh Farm 17, Pleasant Valley 29, Tolina Downs 6, the Duke 5 and Warrajarra 6. In the central wheat belt, nothing above 3 mils. And then in the Great Southern, Amrista Park 15 over two days, Chaming up 6, Cranham 9, Dumble Young 5, Franklin 12, Catanning 6 to 7, Lake King 7, Tunney 5, Williams 7. That's it. Thanks for that, Richard. 23 to 1. And in the last few weeks, most of Western Australia's grain and sheep farms got some pretty good rain. And as you just heard in the last 24 hours, those farms close to Esperance received between sort of 11 and 25 mils. But only 100 kilometres north of there at Salmon Gums, there was only four mils in the gauge. It's been a tough few years for this particular patch, so Esperance reporter Emma Field decided to call in and catch up with a few of the locals, including Michael Maganotti, whose property is just a little closer to Esperance and the coast. We're in uh, your paddock, Michael, at the moment, just looking at a couple of trials here, and there's a rainbow in the background, but you haven't had too much rain this season, have you? Tell us a little bit about what it's been like. Um, yeah, the rain wasn't too favourable leading into seeding and even after seeding really um, wasn't until July that we sort of saw our average and then this month's been fairly good too but all close to average as well. So you're getting rain at the right end of the season do you think you have any chance of an average crop now? Or? Oh, I think we have definitely yeah if, if slightly above I think at this stage just September's uh, is the one. Sam you're actually north of Salmon Gums which is obviously further away from the coast what have things been like at your place? Yeah, rather challenging. Um, anywhere, yeah, heavy countries, establishment was an issue. and uh, but Any lighter ground was able to get germinated uh, quite well and has got a reasonable standard crop. But, yeah, we just need the rest of the season to be favourable and we'll see what happens. So we drove up to your place today to have a quick look and there were some paddocks that looked extremely bare. Are there crops that just didn't come out of the ground? or? Uh, we've definitely got paddocks and crops that are struggling but that's how it is on the heavy ground so um, it's just not this year but yeah any lighter country is is there and should do something. Mm. And so in terms of rainfall and the way your crops are going to pan out how are you feeling about that? I will be average or below average definitely on in some parts of the farm. Um, Jason you manage the um, nutrient store in town so you probably hear a lot about what's happening. How are things going across the district? Um, yeah, north of town, not so good, and south of town, pretty good. That's just how it is. It's further away you get away from the coast, the generally worse it gets most of the time. So last week we had quite a big rainfall event in Esperance. I think town got, you know, well over 50 mils. What was it like here when you heard you're going to get some rain and then kind of missed out? Oh, it's not the best week we've had, um... We were discussing it on the way in. Our WhatsApp group was a bit quiet when uh, normally put in the totals of what everyone got around the district and someone put in a pretty low total and everyone else didn't put anything. <laughs> it just, it's hard. We're all in it together. You know, I, I sell stuff to guys and we're struggling just as much as everyone else. So, you know, you don't, don't want to skite about how good it is and you don't want to upset the guys that aren't having so good a run and it's it's just hard for everyone. Mm. Sam it's been a tough couple of years tell, tell us what the last couple of seasons have been last last few years. 
Uh, last year started off quite slow, but the middle of the year was quite good to us. But then, yeah, it just didn't finish off. So, And um, did you get hit with frost as well? Yeah, so mm. the drought, droughting and, and frost, yep, in a combination together. So, yeah, that put an end to last season. And, um, yeah, we've always had something happen every year pretty well for the last couple of years. So we never really get through unscathed. So how do you maintain a optimism that, you know, keep putting a crop in every year and things like that? I mean, is it tough? Ah, uh, you just, uh, you rally up and try again. That's all you can do, really. Um, you just got to be optimistic. Sam, you also had some livestock on your property. What have you done with them? Uh, we've just recently sold all their stock. Uh, a regretful decision, really, but um, if this is... Um, the seasons that we're going to be facing from now on, we just can't afford to compromise anymore. Uh, well, cutting water and cutting feed is uh, very time-consuming and um, and it's more about looking after the place. We just have to retain cover. I uh, can't afford wind events like this year's to um, yeah have the effect that it has on, the, on our paddocks and on the farm. So we've just made that decision to, um, to do that. So, yeah. I know you've had your local water point, which is the big quarry, upgraded this year, but there hasn't been too many rainfall events where you've been able to run water. Is that going to become an issue? Yeah, I, I think it is. We had a fall of about 20 millimetres a week ago, which, well, not a week ago, a month ago, yeah, July. July, and um, probably put about a foot in the quarry, but it's, it's down well below. There's rock sticking out the bottom. We've been carting water for stock since the about January. The town's been having water carted to it for eight months or more. So we really do need a decent figure to hit town, fill up the quarry, get water in dams. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer if rain doesn't fall soon. Some of the farmers in and around Salmon Gums, including Jason Allen and Sam Guest, and also Michael Maganotti, catching up with Esperance reporter Emma Field. This is the Country Hour, 17 to 1. And another region that's been dry is just around that Lake Grace area. And Richard, I hear there's a meeting coming up soon just about how serious the situation is. What's the story? Yeah, that meeting's going to be held on August the 24th at Coolin, actually. But I was just chatting to one of the farmers in that Lake Grace area, and he was saying their local dam, the Harris Dam, it's about eight metres deep, and it's never gone lower going into summer than around six metres, but it's currently sitting at around two which is extremely low when you consider that we're at the, in the middle of winter or even coming out of the middle of winter. So I suppose they've called this meeting because they're concerned about how on earth they're going to manage going into spring and then going into summer for next year, particularly when a lot of them have been carting water and hand feeding for a lot of this season. So pretty serious uh, concerns. It's not the only thing that's going to be covered on that meeting on August the 24th, but it's, uh, it's certainly one of the main things. Overnight, Lake Grace only got about two mils, but um, I hope some of that water is going to be going into their tub because on Saturday they've got their big freeze event. You remember last year it was held at Boxwood Hills and it coincides with a game of footy, big, big rivalry between Boxwood Hill and Lake Grace. 
and each year they raise money for the big freeze so for to try and help uh, those people with motor neuron disease trying to find a cure this will be their fourth annual one and they're hoping that they can get over two hundred thousand dollars that's not a bad effort in four years i'm personally going for the bombers they're both called Bombers, by the way, so pretty hedge my bets. Uh, last year, evidently, though, Boxwood Hill cheated. They got Quentin Lynch, former premiership player for the Eagles. He played and kicked a couple of crucial goals at the end from just outside 50. This year, it's late Grace's turn to cheat, and they've decided to recruit Matt Prittis, former Eagles player as well. Uh, still the AFL and VFL record holder for the most number of tackles, I might add. So it'd be interesting to see who wins. Massive rivalry between these two teams. But when I was at Brookswood Hills just a few weeks ago, some of the players there were saying, I don't know, they only had one word to describe those at Lake Grace. And it was something like, I don't know, soft might have been it. I don't, I don't want to contribute to the rivalry. Honestly, I don't. But um, it'd be a big day anyway. If you can get along, it'd be a ripper. It really doesn't matter what the subject is. <laughs> you just weave in a football story. Oh, it did, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. You can go. This is the Country Hour, and it's quarter to one. Just before the news that went off to Mount Barker for the results of the cattle market, Tracy Kilner along with the yarding and the prices for you. Now, you might have to pay a bit more for your avocados this year. That's because early predictions are the total harvest could be half of what it was last year, maybe even lower. Western Australia's avocado harvest is underway now and properties near Perth have started the picking. But this year, some large producers in the southwest of the state won't start until October, which is late. George Ipson grows avocados at West Pemberton, about 300 kilometres south of Perth, and he says this has been one of the toughest seasons he's seen. This year, volumes are going to be a lot lower than they have been in the previous year. We reckon the industry's down, uh, you know, 50 to 60 percent. We've got a syndicated packing house, pack house in management, and we did about 1.8 million trays last year. We think our volumes are going to be closer to seven to 800,000 trays this year. So that gives you an idea of, you know, form. We have about 40 to 45 growers that supply into that venue. That's a pretty significant drop in production. I mean, what do we put that down to, George? Well, coming off a high season the previous year in terms of volume, you tend the avocados tend to be you know somewhat biennial anyway. We had a very difficult spring last year. It was got up to about you know 38, 40 degrees C when the flowering and fruit set was happening, and the and that sort of uh, affected the crop. But generally, you know, every now and then you do get a bad crop, and particularly um, in Western Australia or in the southwest anyway. And if the conditions in the end of October and early November aren't right for fruit set, you know, the, the yields can vary, you know, quite a bit. Mm. And when will you start picking at your place? When are you expecting to sort of get, get things up and happening? Well, it's, yeah, look, we're going to have a pretty slow season this year, so we'll start probably in October. Normally we start in September and we'll go through to February next year, I guess. I mean, with such significant volumes down, you know, up to around 60 70% is the talk, as you mentioned before. Does that mean that, you know, obviously this isn't ideal, but can, do you reckon you'll be able to expect a bit of a, a price premium due to, to a possible sort of shortage, I guess, in the local market? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, the way it's shaping up a bit. Not that that's a good outcome. We try to grow 
volumes, uh, you know, high quality fruit, uh, and you know, so the market's always got a supply of what it wants. But yes, it will be a difficult summer, we think, in terms of being able to meet the demand for product because um, that's not what we want, but it is what it is. But having said that, the actual volumes in the ground of trees coming on are uh, increasing, so that 60 to 70% drop may be more like 40 to 50% when it's all washed up you know, in the spring and in the autumn of next year, but time will tell. Mm. And um, I guess with the slowdown on the East Coast again, you know, what's happening in Victoria and then sort of an expected similar situation over the next couple of weeks out of New South Wales, I mean, is that a bit of something that's on your mind, I guess? Well, you know, it, it's there. I guess it's really from the, uh, you know, the backpacker or workers, uh, you know, being able to access workers. I mean, we'll, our operations will require less workers this year, so it's not such a big deal. But certainly there are concerns there. I mean, it's an extraordinary situation in Australia where you have these JobKeeper programs that effectively stop people from working. It's quite bizarre. Yeah, I guess... Um it's probably the ideal year to have production down, given that you're not going to be able to potentially source that level of labour that you usually would. Yes, that's you know, but I, I think you know because we're, our volumes are down, it won't won't be a, a you know huge issue. But you know, who knows? Avocado grower George Ibsen with Jess Hayes and talking about the avocado season. And as he was just telling you, volumes could be down by sort of fifty, sixty. Even 70% harvest is just kicking off, so that's why it's a bit difficult to pinpoint exactly at this stage anyway. But interesting to see how that is going to unfold as the harvest continues. This is the Country Hour. It's 10 to 1 and off to Mount Barker very shortly. But first, just um, George Ibsen just there mentioning the JobKeeper program. And interestingly... An embattled coal miner in WA's southwest has managed to qualify for federal government assistance via the JobKeeper program. And as Daniel Mercer explains, that's got some people a bit hot under the collar. In the industrial town of Collie, the troubles at beleaguered coal miner Griffin are well known. Ever since being bought from the wreckage of former tycoon Rick Stowe's failed empire in 2010, the mine has struggled with financial woes. So it came as a surprise to Southwest Liberal MLC Steve Thomas when he learnt Griffin had successfully applied for JobKeeper. That's the $100 billion Commonwealth program to help businesses affected by COVID-19. There has been no significant reduction in coal consumption for power generation in Western Australia. Blue Water's power is supplying the gold industry and the Southwest Integrated Grid. Uh, and both of those are still absorbing that energy. So I do not understand why there would have been a reduction in the demand for Griffin's coal. Now, it might be that the reduction is due to mechanical issues or a failure of delivery, uh, but we need to know that, and we need to know that quickly. Steve Thomas says Griffin's decision to access JobKeeper also needs to be scrutinised in light of another development. Last month, Griffin's biggest customer moved to take control of the mine, That's because there were complaints Griffin had failed to properly supply coal. The matter is now before the courts. But why does any of this even matter? Well, the customer that's taken Griffin to court is Blue Waters, one of WA's biggest power stations and a supplier to state-owned utilities Synergy and the Water Corp, as well as Boddington Goldmine. Blue Waters Power Station has had to uh, seek a court injunction to shore up their supply from Griffin. I am very concerned about the timing of this. Griffin Coal is apparently struggling to provide 
the coal that's required by Blue Waters at a time that it is also applying for job seeker payments to prop up its business. Now, to get job seeker payments, it, it has to demonstrate a 30% reduction in turnover from the previous year. And I would hate to think that that turnover reduction uh, was a driving force in them not providing the coal that Blue Waters requires to keep that power station open uh, and keeping hundreds of people employed. Steve Thomas there. Now, State Energy Minister Bill Johnston says Griffin will be eligible for JobKeeper for the months of July and August, and it will apply to about 200 workers. But he says given the scheme is being run by the Commonwealth, it's ultimately a matter for the federal government. Greg Busson is with the unions. He's State Secretary of the CFMEU's Mining and Energy Division. He thinks Griffin's successful registration for JobKeeper will be welcomed by workers, but raises questions about the adequacy of the scheme's settings. I thought uh, the intent of JobKeeper was for to protect businesses that were affected by the COVID virus. Obviously, Griffin Coal must, um, must meet the criteria, so, yeah, it's just a bit surprising, that was all. Do you perhaps then struggle to see a, a reason why Griffin should have suffered a loss of output or revenue because of COVID? It's just the confusion, I suppose, that um, Griffin have got set contracts at set prices, um, tonnages that they uh, have to meet throughout the year. So it's not, I thought there was, I know I'm aware of a couple of companies on the East Coast, coal companies that have um, access JobKeeper payment too, but they sell their coal on the international market, which has been affected by COVID. A spokesman for Griffin confirmed the company had successfully applied for JobKeeper, but no one from the company was willing to talk on air. We were keen to ask if the company feels its current predicament has anything to do with COVID-19. Whatever the reason, Steve Thomas is sceptical. I would be incredibly concerned if there was not a very valid reason for disruptions of coal supply from Griffin Coal to Blue Waters Power Station. If there's not a valid transport or mechanical reason why that isn't occurring, then I would be quite angry that state and federal taxpayers' monies are being used to prop up a, a company in these circumstances. Uh, the COVID response by the federal government has been incredibly generous. Uh, it's now something like $300 billion, and every dollar is vital because at some point it's a dollar that taxpayers will have to pay back, and we can't allow that to be used inappropriately. That's Southwest Liberal MLC Steve Thomas, who is now the Shadow Minister for Finance in WA, and you might remember he was also... Uh, the former Shadow Minister for Agriculture and Food. This is The Country Hour, 5 to 1. Hello, I'm Thomas Ariti. Join me for the world today. A nasty political edge has entered into the debate about how Australia handles the pandemic. A once cooperative spirit between Canberra and Victoria is fraying. But do politicians need to reset? That's a question I'm asking the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese. And Joe Biden's running mate, Kamala Harris, can she energise America's minority groups and get them to vote Donald Trump out of the White House? We'll talk to a leading commentator from Washington. That's coming up on The World Today. To the markets now, and today it's the cattle marker, cattle market at Mount Barker, and a total yarding of 515 head today. So numbers up slightly on last week. Good quality cattle resulted in some better prices today too. Tracy Kilner, can you run through the details? All categories gained with demand for the quality offered. Lightweight wiener steers sold to a top of 446 cents, while the heifers topped at 378 cents a kilo. Heavy cows gained, selling to 256 cents, while a heavy bull sold to a high of 280 cents, with most sales at 250 cents a kilo. 
Bullocks weighing from 600 to 750 kilos sold from 274 to 314 cents. Grown steers weighing over 500 kilos made 320 cents and under that weight sold for 302 to 394 cents a kilo. The grown heifers weighing over 540 kilos sold for 246 to 280 cents while the lighter weights made from 220 to 258 cents. To 358 cents depending on quality. Yearling steers weighing over 400 kilos sold for 400 cents and the lighter weights made from 310 to 408 cents a kilo. Yearling heifers returned 320 to 352 cents a kilo. Weaner steers weighing over 330 kilos sold from 380 to 420 cents while the lighter weights made from 350 to 446 cents a kilo. Weaner heifers sold from 332 to 378 cents for the best. Heavy prime cows gained 22 cents on quality, returning 228 to 256 cents. Medium weight cows eased, selling from 220 to 243 cents, and the boner cows made um, 230 cents a kilo. Heavy bulls sold to restockers for 240 to 280 cents, and processors paid 230 to 252 cents a kilo. The processors paid 220 to 260 for the medium weight bulls and feeder buyers purchased the lightweight bulls for 240 to 356 cents depending on quality. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. Tracy, thank you for going through those details and uh, that is the livestock markets for this week. Tomorrow uh, a wrap of the wool market and the wool market really took a nosedive last week. But just having a look at how things are tracking at the moment, it's only slipped two cents this week with the Eastern Market Indicator now at 1,004 cents a kilogram. At auction, 30,272 bales were offered with only 8.2% of those bales passed in. And it's been a much steadier week at the office for wool growers compared to... uh, last week when the EMI fell a massive 128 cents a kilo and more than 30% of bales were passed in at auction. This week there were plenty of pluses right across the board for fleece wool types gaining between 2 and 29 cents. Merino carding still struggled and fell more than 65 cents a kilo. Now that's just a sneak peek I guess a preview of um a more detailed conversation about the wool market for you uh, around about this time tomorrow on the Country Hour. And at a minute to one, if you're a sucker for cute, then you do have to check out the ABC Rural Facebook page where you can see just a gorgeous photo of some very cute lambs wearing these little colourful woollen sweaters. Now, they were made by uh, a Perth resident who read that in winter some lambs are in danger of freezing to death, so she decided that it was time to do something about it. She read the instruction manual, picked up her knitting needles and set to work. And believe it or not, her name is Trish Lambkin. Seriously, there is even a B in the name Lamb, so L-A-M-B-K-I-N, Lambkin. And if that was written in a novel, you would say that is ridiculous, but that is the truth. And uh, there is um, a link to the story on the ABC Rural Facebook page, and she has actually knitted over 300 of these little mini sweaters. They are gorgeous too. Go and check out the photos on the ABC Rural Facebook page. Talk to you tomorrow. Time for the news, one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. 
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.